Good morning, everyone. Hello, hello. I'm going to try again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the Vineyard in Wycliffe. We're so happy you're here today. Um, say good morning to everybody joining us online today. Good morning. Yeah, they can't see you, but they can hear you, so it's like a little community. It's great. Um, we're going to get started with some worship through our music, and then we're going to do some worship through the Word. Jackie's going to bring the Word this morning. Um, apparently, she's going to bring the entire reason for God, so that's pretty cool. I'm just saying, no pressure to Jackie or anything like that. Um, but we're going to get started. I'm going to pray over us, um, and then we're pretty free with how you want to worship, so whatever posture you feel comfortable worshiping in, please do that. God, we thank you so much for this community, um, that we get a chance to worship you every day, and then we get a chance to worship you with um, our brothers and sisters this morning. So thank you for this opportunity that we don't take for granted. And I pray that no matter what we leave here, having had an experience of you, Jesus, let this not be about what we play, what we sing, um, the words that we speak, but I just pray that we have an, an encounter with you this morning. And I thank you and praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's get started.
forever defeated now it is well we get to walk in that freedom just hold on to that this morning walking in that freedom of knowing sometimes that doesn't sink in so so deeply
the cross I To the cross I cling This suffering I do drink Of this work I do sing Don't need a Savior
more time at the cross. At the cross you beckon me, draw me gently to my knees and I am lost for words so lost in love I'm sweetly broken holy surrender give him some praise and glory this morning morning. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. Um, We're so glad that you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Our service today is streaming live on Facebook. You can also find us on YouTube tomorrow. Everybody say welcome back to my grandmother. Today, Jackie Brown, one of our small group pastors, is preaching today to kick off our exciting fall book study, The Reason for God. Today's message is called Jesus and Our Doubts, from John 20, 19-29. Grab your Bible or cell, tablet, laptop, whatever, to look up uh, today's text. You'll also find it written in your bulletin, along with a section to take notes. Pastor Appreciation Month is almost upon us. If you haven't had a chance to get in on the card signing, please see Melinda. Linda, she's waving. The All City Vineyard Conference is next weekend, Friday and Saturday, September 29th and 30th, at the Christ the King Vineyard in North Olmsted. Dr. Charles Montgomery is the keynote speaker and will have a wonderful message for us all. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see the little insert. Plan to join us Friday evening. <laughs> Plan to join us Friday evening at 7 p.m. and or Saturday morning at Christ the King. Saturday evening, the conference continues with a youth event at 7 p.m. Like I said, check out the flyer in your bulletin for specifics. And now we have a brief video. are going to be... Hey, Brent, guess what? What? We are so excited that we, this year, at the end of September, the 29th and the 30th, are going to be having our All-City Vineyard Conference. Oh, sweet. 
This year we have Dr. Charles Montgomery who's going to be joining us and he's going to be sharing on Friday night and also Saturday. So join us at Christ the King Vineyard in North Olmsted for both days, Friday night at 7, Saturday at 10, and then there's going to be a youth event Saturday afternoon all taking place at Christ the King. We hope to see you there. We are super excited. Sweet, we are. Woo! Go. Bye. That was great. Thank you. Um, our CFK fundraiser dinner and raffle will be here Saturday, October 7th from 5 to 8 p.m. Tickets are now available in the lobby. Today, we are beginning our fall book study and sermon series for 2023. We are using Reverend Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God, as your starting point for each week's sermon and for each week's small group or bi-weekly small group um, study throughout the fall. We encourage each of you to join us, join a small group as we go through this study together as a church. A big key to a successful fall study are leaders of our small group. We'd like for each of those leaders to come forward right now so we can see the wonderful people who give of their time to be fully prepared as they lead these groups in addition to being introduced now, they will also be available to answer questions you may have about their groups. Please take time to meet them in the lobby after our service today. So we'd like to recognize those leaders now. I think they're all up here. Terry Planton, Monday's men's group. Tim and Judy Skronsky, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday Richmond Heights group. Norma Nichols, is Norma not here today? Okay, she leads the um, Wednesday Daytimers group. And then Debbie Sadowski, Wednesday Daughters of the King group. Melinda Bennis and Kaylee Lowey, Wednesday's off-topic group. <laughs> if you're wondering, that's her husband back there hooting and howling. Oh, was it Jen? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jen. Sorry, Zane. <laughs> Brett Paulson, Thursday's Usual Suspects group. Suzette, I know you're here. Where'd she hide? Suzette's hiding. But she, um, Thursday Doers of the Word group, it meets on Zoom. And then Tracy McBride and Denise Dorning, Thursday's Rooted Wings group. <laughs> Please take time after our service today to talk with these wonderful people and find out about the group you would like to be a part of. Let's show our appreciation for them as they go back to their seats now. Here's, there's Suzette. She's at the back. She's got to come up for just a second. <laughs> Just wave. <laughs> okay, you're good. Don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for your offering, or you can donate with Zell.
Drum roll for Jackie. knock things down up here. All right. (laughs) Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we give this moment to you. We thank you for getting us through another week. We thank you for being the lover of our souls and forgiver of our sins. We ask for your forgiveness for all the ways we may have fallen short this week. And we ask you to cleanse us and change our hearts. And we thank you that your forgiveness is instant and complete We thank you for this moment just to dive into your word. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to each individual person the words they need to hear today to change their lives, to change their situations. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here. As always, it's always exciting to be amongst my family and the faith. Uh, thank you so much to the worship team for getting us started off and the, the sound team and audio team for all that you do. Um, I made it through worship without crying today. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> um, so before we dive into what um, our, our passage for today, I just wanted to say a little bit about our fall book study. So today is our kickoff, and for those um, who've never been through the, small, the fall book study before, it's an opportunity where all of our small groups are studying the same thing at the same time, and our sermons are aligned to that study. So again, I do just want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, please join a small group. Even if you, you don't think you can commit to one long term, we encourage you to perhaps consider joining one for um, this portion as we go through the fall book study. So um, can I ask our leaders, small group leaders, just to raise your hands one more time? All right, so you can see where they are, so you can chat with them after service. Can we give them one more hand? I thank God for our small group leaders and the time that they pour in uh, week in and week out. It's, it's definitely a labor of love. And so in case you were wondering why did we choose this particular study, don't we as Christians know the reason for God? One of the reasons we, we chose the study is because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to share the gospel and make disciples. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm called to share the gospel and make disciples, and I'm, I'm sorry if you signed up for, for being a Christian and no one told you that when you signed up and you're finding out for the first time here today, but uh, <laughs> yes, that's part of our call, and, and it's okay. We can do it because we have the Holy Spirit to empower us, but this study is, is an equipping study, and it's focused on equipping us to have spiritual conversations with unbelievers. We all know people who are not saved, whether it's family members, co-workers, neighbors. We know people who are not saved, and because you know those people, you're in relationship with those people, I'm in relationship with those people. 
we're uniquely positioned to have good conversations with them. And so that's part of what this study is to help us with that. There are some people that we're going to encounter who the seeds have been planted and they're ready and they say, I want to follow Jesus. What, tell me what to do. I'm ready to commit. But then there's going to be other folks we encounter who say, I don't know about that Christianity stuff. I have questions. I have doubts. And they're going to come to you. And you may have had that experience. I will confess, there was one time I had an experience years ago. A group of us were sitting at a table, and there was a man uh, in the group. He actually identified as a former Christian. He was a former minister. And he had completely left and renounced the faith because of just some really horrific things he had gone through in his life. And so we, we were, got on the topic of faith, and he was sharing about that. And he asked, I, don't, I just don't understand why a God, a God that I chose to serve and, and minister for, would do that to me. Why would he do that to me? And, and in the context of this conversation, we knew each other. He was literally asking for an answer. He wanted to know our opinion. And I, I will confess, I froze in that moment. One, because he, the horrible things he was saying about God, I had never heard anyone use that kind of language towards God before, so I was in shock. But I also sympathized with just, he had walked through some valleys, man. It was rough stuff. And I'm like, he's, he's asking for an answer. He's opening the door to conversation. I don't know what to say. So I chickened out. I didn't say anything. I didn't. It would have been a great opportunity for me to say, okay, Holy Spirit, Give me the right words to, to acknowledge his, his hard times and griefs. But, but I, I checked out, uh, and thankfully there was someone else at the table who engaged him, and it was a very loving conversation. The guy left saying, okay, you gave me some things to think about. Maybe I was interpreting scripture a little bit incorrectly, but those are the kinds of conversations this study is going to help prepare us for so that when the situation comes, you're not like me <laughs> and chicken out. Or when the situation comes, you don't say, oh, you had that's a great question. Come to church on Sunday. Or that's a great question. I want you to meet my pastor. Because if they're ready in that moment to have the conversation, by Sunday they may have changed their mind or be on to something else. So in the small group study, you're going to have an opportunity to talk about the hard questions people ask about Christianity and what does the Bible have to say about it so we can get that word in our hearts so then in those moments, Holy Spirit can bring the word back up at the right time in the right way. So um, again, encourage you to join a small group and be with us on our study. And in the midst of this study, we acknowledge that it's not just unbelievers who have questions. It's not just unbelievers who go through seasons of doubt. So today, as we do our kickoff, we're going to talk specifically about when believers go through seasons of doubt. What does that look like? Um, we, we have things that happen in our lives that we, where we have questions and we get frustrated. Some people are rushing, wrestling with questions right now. You may be wrestling with the question of, Lord, why did he have to die? He was so young. Why now? Or, Lord, I've been praying for healing. Why hasn't it happened yet? Father, you know my desire for a spouse. Why am I still single? Maybe you're wrestling with, God, I've been crying out to you to have children, and it hasn't happened. Why have I struggled financially all my life? When will that end? Or maybe you're saying, Lord, I've been battling this sin for decades. Why won't you take it away? We have questions as believers. And sometimes those questions can lead us to have some doubt. And so today we're going to look at a familiar person in the Bible, the disciple 
Thomas, who unfortunately is known as Doubting Thomas, which I don't think is a fair uh, nickname for him. But we're going to look at his, his moment of doubt as someone who walked side by side with Jesus, Jesus in the flesh, and still had moments of doubt. The enemy would like to see our questions and doubt turn into faithlessness, or like the guy I talked to, turn into renouncing our faith. But our prayer is that like Thomas's encounter, that we can come out of the other side of doubt with a greater faith and a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. So John chapter 20, starting with verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy as they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with Jesus, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. God's word is good. As uh, my friend Scott would say, John is one of my four favorite gospels. Uh, <laughs> so when, when this passage picks up, Jesus um, had been crucified, and prior to his crucifixion, he had been spending some in intensive time with his disciples, trying to get them ready for the things to come, and he was sharing with them, and, and they would have moments where they would be a little confused, like, okay, we hear you say you're going away, but, but what are you talking about? And, and Thomas was one of those folks who was willing to speak up and say, Jesus, I'm confused. I don't know what you're saying. In John chapter 14, when, when Jesus was trying to comfort them, and he was saying, let not your heart be troubled, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will come back for you, and, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas was the one who spoke up and said, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, I, we don't know the way to where you're going. Where are you going? We don't know. The, how can we know the way if we don't know where you're going? Can you give us a map or something? I'm mean, going to need some more clues. And so I appreciate Thomas being willing to speak up in that moment. And Jesus clarified for him, you know the way because I am the way. And so Jesus had been preparing them um, for he was, when he was leaving. He also told them that he was returning. He was trying to give them hope. But again, there was some confusion about what was to happen. And so you can imagine that once Jesus was crucified, that they had a lot of emotions. Of course, there was grief. There was 
This was someone who they walked beside for three years. He was their rabbi. He was their mentor. He was their friend. And now he's gone. So they were experiencing intense grief. And then on top of that, they knew that now that the religious leaders have successfully gotten Jesus crucified, we're next. We follow him. We believe what he says. So we're next. So folks are going to be after us. So there's grief. There's fear. And then there's still confusion trying to figure out, okay, he said he was coming back, but also preparing a place. What's going to happen next? So they were dealing with a whole lot of emotions. And it's against that backdrop that we see John uh, chapter 20, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and the disciples are gathered together in a room and they're behind this locked door because they know folks are after them. And Jesus appears. And, And we don't know why Thomas was not with them at that moment, but Thomas wasn't there. And the first thing Jesus says to them is, peace be with you which is a weighty statement because when Jesus says peace, peace enters the room. And peace, God's shalom is what they needed in that moment as they're hiding out, still in their grief, still trying to figure out spiritually what's happening next, Jesus. And so he spoke peace to them. And then he immediately proceeded to show them his hands and his side, and he was assuring them, them, yes, it's me. God raised me from the dead. And then he spends a moment just to reaffirm their mission, that they are still to go out. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And and he reconfirms for them the authority that they have to go out and say that in Jesus you have forgiveness of sin. And so it's this powerful moment. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas missed it. But later the disciples were chatting with Thomas and said, hey, Thomas, guess what? He's risen. We saw the Lord. And probably at that moment they were expecting like some high fives or some dap or something. Like, yeah. And no, that was not Thomas's response. He did not share the excitement. He said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us why Thomas was doubting at that moment, because if there's anybody he should have believed, it was the, the folks he had been walking with, his buddies, the folks who knew Jesus for real. Like if there was anyone he should have believed, it would have been them. And so we don't know why Thomas doubted. And we could look at Thomas and say, Thomas, you walked with Jesus. He told you he was coming back. Your friends just said he saw that they saw him. Why are you doubting? But I could look at Thomas and ask the question. I could also look at me, though, and ask the question. I could look at any of us when we're having doubts and ask the question, why? You've been walking with Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You've had mountaintop experiences with God. You've seen him work miracles. And then one little situation happens, and now you have doubt. I could ask myself that same question, why? But the reality is doubt can creep in. And whatever the case, again, he said, I will not believe. And often what happens, often what opens the door for doubt is when there's a disconnect between what we know is truth and what we're seeing in front of us. Thomas has some truth to hold on to. Jesus said, I'm coming back. I'm preparing a place. Here are some things that are going to happen. He had some truth to hold on to. But what he was seeing in front of him didn't match 
the truth that was stated to him. And often that's the point, just like for Thomas, where we can have doubts and questions. And so it was eight days later when Thomas would be in that locked room with the disciples. He's there with them this time, and Jesus shows up again, and he shows up, and he says, peace. And then he turns to Thomas, said, here's my hands, you can touch them. Here's my side, you can touch it. So that lets us know Jesus knew Thomas's doubts. He also knew the conditions that Thomas set forth, that Thomas had said, yeah, I've got to touch it to believe it. And so Jesus knew that, but for whatever reason, he made Thomas wait eight days before he addressed it. Because we're seeing now that Jesus, now that he's resurrected, has this uh, fancy new form of transportation where he can just, you know, bloop, show up places, doesn't have to walk through a door or anything. So we could imagine that when Thomas was first having the conversations with the disciples and says, no, I will not believe that Jesus could have said, bloop, hello, I'm here. See my hands. See my side. He could have done it right there that moment, that first day. Could have done it the next day. Could have done it the day after that. But Thomas had to sit with that doubt and unbelief for eight days. He had to sit with that for eight days. And if you're in a season of doubt, I want to suggest to you that you might be in that eight-day wait. And if you are, I encourage you to maximize the time. Don't waste that time. And now some of you are saying, girl, it's been more than eight days. It's been eight weeks, eight months, eight years. I've been in the struggle for a very long time. That's fine. The eight days for Thomas wasn't necessarily when his circumstance was going to change or going to end. The eight days for him was was the space between his, his deep doubt and his revelatory encounter with Jesus, the space between his deep doubt and his return to an even deeper faith. And so If we're in that that eight-day space where we have doubts and it seems like God is silent, how do we cooperate with God? Because I believe that that space was intentional that Jesus gave him. So the first thing is to stay connected to the community of faith. Thomas stayed connected, even though he was like, I don't know what's going on, I don't believe you, but he was at least close enough to be in conversation with them that he could hear that statement from the disciples he didn't believe. So he stayed connected to them even in the midst of his doubt. And I can imagine in those eight days he had some time to say, okay, I know I was a little short with the other disciples when they were all excited about Jesus. Uh, maybe, maybe there was some truth to it. He had some time to say, okay, what they said does, now I think about it, kind of match what Jesus said before he was crucified. So he had some time to, to think about what his faith community had to say to him. He wasn't hearing directly from Jesus' mouth, but he heard from his faith community. And so I encourage you, if you're in a season of doubt, to stay connected because there are people in the community who can speak words to you, even if you don't like what they say initially, that in that wait, the Lord will begin to help you see what is the truth. And, and he was in community that day that Jesus showed up to give him the proof and the evidence. I don't know if he was expecting Jesus to do that again, but he was back, he was in that room with the disciples that time when Jesus showed up and revealed himself. So stay in the community of faith. The second way we can cooperate with God when he's working in our lives during that eight days between the the doubt and, and greater faith is that we have to commit that we won't let our current circumstances 
change God's truth. Thomas had the truth of what Jesus had said to him, but because the circumstances didn't show him, no, he's not coming back. He's not here. He's not resurrected. He began to think this must not be so. We can't let our circumstances change what we know the Bible says. I've done it before, and I've shared before how I went through a season where I completely and totally stopped praying for healing because initially I was seeing folks get healed and set free, and then folks weren't getting healed, and folks were dying, and I was disillusioned. I was grieving as folks were dying, and so I knew what the Word said, but then I decided I'm going to redefine truth. I'm going to redefine it. It says, well, since healing only happens sometimes, I don't have to pray for healing at all. God's going to do what he's going to do, right? So that was my, my, new, my new truth, if you will. So I said, I'm just going to I'm a, I'm a disengage. I'm going to step back from the healing game, let it do what it do. Whatever happens is what happens. That was me trying to adjust truth to fit what I was seeing in front of me. And God had to take me to a place that says, yeah, there are some things you're seeing in front of you. Yeah, there's some grief you have. There's some pain. There's some disappointment. But my word still stands. My word says I'm good. My word says my desire is to see people healed and made whole. My word says that if you're my disciples, I sent you out to share the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons. I sent you to do that. So for you to say I'm tapping out, that's not aligned with my word. The word says that if there's any sick among you, to, to pray for them and anoint them with oil. So I had to, to readjust and say, okay, I still, today, there's some incongruence and things don't seem to be lining up. But when I'm in that moment and I say, God, this situation doesn't seem to be lining up with the truth that you're good and it's your will to heal, my response now is not to change the truth or rewrite the truth. My response is to take it to them. Say, I'm confused. I don't get it. What else do you want me to learn from this situation? That's now my response. Um, I've done it before, and um, you may hear it now. It seems to be becoming more acceptable to, to adjust God's truth when it comes to issues of, of sexuality or personality. And we may say, well, since God didn't change those sexual desires that are not aligned with the word of God, or, or since God has still not changed my temperament, I'm, I'm still a super angry individual, and I've been that way for 20 years, and God still hasn't changed it, or God still hasn't removed my, my sugar addiction. God still hasn't removed it. Since that's the case, let me rewrite the truth and say, that's the way God made me. That, that must be how he wants me to be. And so we let our circumstances rewrite the truth. We can't let what we see in our current circumstances change the word of God. We stand on the word of God until our circumstances change. I used to uh, say things like, well, God is good, but he sometimes makes this and that happen in my life and wreaks all kind of havoc. And I would say, God is good, but God is good, but, and he had to change me. And now it's God is good, period. Yes, you may look at my life and say, man, she's a hot mess. Looks like just everything's going wrong, <laughs> but God is good, period, even in the midst of it. I used to uh, say things like, well, when I pray, I'm not sure anything happens. Um, and so I don't even, I'm, is there a point to praying? I'm not sure. And so, because I was trying to make sense. Like, the Bible says when I pray, stuff's supposed to happen and nothing's happening. So, 
okay, let me just make a new truth. Prayer is not really that important. Prayer doesn't really move things. But that's not, there is nowhere in the Bible where if prayer is described as something casual or mediocre or ineffective. Nowhere. So I had to change my confession. Prayer is always powerful. I believe now that something is always happening when we pray. Even if I don't see it, something is always happening. So I had to change my confession. And and when we hold on to these truths, again, sometimes the situation that you're looking at, it doesn't change. But we have to hold firm to the truth. Because if we start teetering into, into changing things to what we think it ought to be, we'll eventually find ourselves in a faithless place. I also used to um, talk to my friends about, you know, there was this thing that I was believing God for, and I believed it was his will for me based on the word, and it didn't happen. So I said, well, my my explanation for it was God is withholding that from me. God's withholding that thing from me that he said in his word is good, and God's probably withholding it because of that time I messed up, Um, and I'm maybe never going to get it because of that time. So that was me trying to explain why you could, because what I saw wasn't lining up with the word, so let me make a new explanation. God withholds things because of my sin. And a friend challenged me, and she's like, I don't see anywhere in the word where it says God withholds good things, especially things that it says are his will in the Bible. Why, Why do you believe that? And I didn't really have a good reason. I was just trying to explain what I saw in front of me. But when she challenged me, I was like, you're right, that's, that's not truth. That was me making things up. And she was like, in that sin you're talking about, you're talking about that thing you did 10 years ago? I was like, yeah, that one. She's like, didn't you confess and repent? I said, yeah. She's like, you changed your mind about it. You don't want to do it anymore. I said, yeah, yeah, I haven't, haven't done it in 10 years. She was like, that's not consistent with the word. The word says that he forgives completely that he cast your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, he's not thinking about it. So you're making up this story and giving God these characteristics that are not true. So again, we can't let our circumstances change the word of God. There's, there's lots of things I still don't understand fully. Lots of things. <laughs> and and there's probably forever that's going to be the case because I don't want to serve a God who I can fully understand. I want something to be bigger <laughs> than me. But... In the midst of wrestling with those things, I've made a decision that my confession is going to be what the word of God says is true. The last thing that can help you in the eight-day wait is to ask God for revelation and to give you spiritual eyes. I believe that Thomas's encounter with Jesus was one where his spiritual eyes were open. Yes, Jesus showed up and said, you can touch my hands, you can touch my side, and um, in the book of John, it doesn't say that he touched Jesus. Some people think he did. Some people think he didn't. Uh, to me, it, that's not the point, because what I see here in the passage is that when he's in front of Jesus and Jesus speaks the words to him, Jesus speaks to him and say, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God, the words from Jesus were powerful enough to break his doubt. And then it opened his spiritual eyes and he had a revelation of who Jesus really is and what's really happening. The same Thomas who before said, Jesus, I'm listening, but I don't quite get what you're laying down. I don't get it. That same Thomas now had a 
full understanding of my Lord and my God. That was significant because the disciples often called him Lord, but you don't see the disciples often saying my God. That was significant for a Jewish person to call someone my God. So he had a revelation in that moment that he didn't have before because he was in the the presence of Jesus and Jesus spoke a word that opened his eyes. It opened his spiritual eyes. So I encourage you to ask God to open your spiritual eyes because it changes the way you see the situation. At the end of the day, Thomas's situation didn't change that much afterwards. Like they still wanted to kill anyone who was following Jesus or spreading the gospel. So he still had some things to think about. Uh, a lot of the history says that he was martyred along with uh, some of the other disciples. And so Everything about his situation didn't change, but his perspective did. Being able to see, okay, now I see what's happening spiritually. That gave him the energy to continue. And so I encourage you, if you've never read the Bible asking the question, Lord, show me how spiritual things work. I encourage you to do that. I've been doing that for the past couple of years. And it's interesting how some of the same verses that I read kind of casually, I now see, oh, God is explaining to us how spiritual things work. Because we're used to living in the natural, but there's spiritual activity happening 24-7, happening right now. The Bible tells us that there are um, angels and archangels and and angel armies and heavenly hosts that are at work 24-7. The Bible also tells us that there's principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places that's also at work 24-7. And if we let him, Holy Spirit wants to be at work through believers 24-7. So there's spiritual activity all the time. And it's important that we are aware of it because if one of the only spiritual being that we acknowledge is God, then every time something goes wrong, we're blaming God. So we need to understand what's happening spiritually. And the only way we can understand it is to ask God to show us. And some of those things, again, he's laid out in the Bible, The more I've learned to see things with spiritual eyes, again, those things that I I shared, that I was blaming stuff on God, and I should have been blaming the enemy. The more I learn about how spiritual things work, the more I realize we have a part to play. And, And the Bible makes it clear that we have a part to play, but I think sometimes I read those parts of the Bible too casually. And again, I'll type in today. I'll tap out tomorrow when I feel like it. But no, we have a part to play. So there was things I was blaming on God, and God is looking at me saying, but I've, I've laid out for you in Scripture the principles of how things work in the Spirit, and you're not following them. I'm blaming things on God, and God is saying, I told you about the importance of asking. And I told you that sometimes you have not because you ask not, and you're mad at me, and you never even asked. Or God had to uh, correct me and say, I I, I laid out in Scripture that if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you're going to ask things according to my will, and you won't ask things with the wrong motive. But you're mad at me, Jackie, but are you abiding in me? Or are you fiddling in sin and doing your own thing and then show up and expect to still have the promises of abiding? So God had to open my eyes. This is how spiritual things work. There were things that I was looking at and say, God, where were you when I was in that? And God said, Jackie, I'm asking, where were you? 
Because I've laid out in the Bible spiritually how you can engage in spiritual warfare. I've made it clear that it's my joy to have all of my creation engage in the spiritual world, including you. And so I told you in the word that you have authority. I told you in Ephesians that when you put on your full armor, it's so that you can withstand the attacks of the enemy. And so while you were saying, God, where were you, Jackie? I was looking for you to suit up. But you checked out. So we've got to understand how things work spiritually. He laid out in the Bible another spiritual principle when Jesus was teaching them how to pray. Jackie, I told you that you can call forth and say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But you'd rather use your mouth to complain instead of doing the things that I laid out for you in Scripture. And so I encourage you to ask God to show, help me see with spiritual eyes what's happening spiritually. Because for Thomas, that made a difference for how he was going to go forward. My Lord and my God, again, people were still after him. He ended up getting killed. It wasn't a rosy life because he had the revelation of how spiritual things work. But I would say it was a good life. It's a good life. When you're in tune with Jesus and you understand the direction that he's giving you. So, Lord, open our eyes to what's happening in the spirit. I can promise you, you're going to stay frustrated if you're only looking at stuff that's happening in the world around you through the natural, physical lens. We've joined a spiritual kingdom. So I encourage you to ask God about how spiritual things work. And so before we um, have some time in prayer, I do want to close by just appreciating Jesus' grace with Thomas. Jesus could have said, Thomas, you walked next to me three years. I told you I was coming back. How are you doubting me? Your, your friends came and told you. Why are you still doubting? Like Jesus could have gave him a strong rebuke. But that's not what he did. Jesus showed up and said, okay, this is a proof you think you need. I'm going to give it to you. Here, touch me. Touch me. The grace of God. God doesn't have to do that for us. He doesn't owe us anything. But to show up in the midst of our doubts and say, okay, here's the proof you think you need. I'm going to give it to you because I love you that much and I care that much about you returning to faith. So gracious. God, thank you for your grace. He was gracious with Thomas. He's gracious with you. He's gracious with us. So if you're sitting with questions and doubts, and maybe you even have a list of conditions, God, I'll believe you if one, two, three, four. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. He doesn't want the questions to turn into faithlessness. He wants you to have an encounter with him where he's going to open your eyes to some things. And the circumstance may not change, but your, your view of it will change. Your vision will change. And then you will leave that doubt and move to a position of greater faith. That's what God wants from you if you're sitting with doubt today. So Thomas, he stayed connected to his community of faith. He had a word of truth to hold on to that Jesus spoke, even though he was doubting the resurrection And God opened his spiritual eyes to what was going on. So on the other side of what looked like a really bad day when Jesus was crucified, on the other side of of doubting that what Jesus said was actually true, he had an encounter with Jesus. And on the other side of that encounter, 
He was no longer seeing things in the natural, but he had a spiritual revelation. On the other side of that bad day, that bad season, that doubt, eight days later, he had a deeper revelation of Jesus and a rock-solid confidence in Jesus. My prayer for us is that during the eight days, and again, maybe it's been longer than eight days for you where you've been sitting in the doubt and it's disrupting your intimacy with God. My prayer is that this time where it seems like God is silent, that it won't be wasted, that you'll stay connected, that you'll reground yourself in what the word says, and that you'll ask God, open my eyes. Help me to see the parts of this situation that I'm not seeing. As we um, get ready to close, there may be someone here that is, is at that place of doubt to the point where, yeah, it, it's interfering with my intimacy with God and I'm having trouble praying and, and this is, it, it's a really hard time. If you are in a place of doubt and you're like, this eight days, I need it to end. I need revelation. I need help. Uh, if you're in that situation, if you, if you want to, would you be willing to raise your hand? And I'm not asking this to embarrass anyone. I'm asking this for a reason. All right, we have a hand here. Anyone else? All right, the reason I'm asking you to raise your hands is because I said earlier, is I believe wholeheartedly that when we pray, something's going to happen. And I believe wholeheartedly what the Bible says about coming into agreement in prayer. So we're going to come into agreement. So let me ask again, is there anyone else? Because we're about to all come into agreement together before we dismiss, and then we'll still pray at the altar. But we're going to come into agreement together for our sisters and brothers who are in it. When you're in the thick of it, you're not, you're not alone. We're the family of faith. We're here to surround you with our prayers. Is there anyone else who I'm in this season of doubt, and I want, I want this whole church family to bombard the throne of heaven for me? I have two more hands hand here. Even if you didn't see where the hand was, God knows that. I think it was somewhere on the second row, Jesus. That's who I'm praying for. Hand back there. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, hand back there. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, if you're a Christian, we're about to bombard the throne of heaven right now on behalf of our sisters and brothers because we care about them. We love them. So right now you can pray silently. Or if you want to pray out loud, go for it. <laughs> but I'm going to pray for every person who raised their hand. Oh, Lord, we thank you for being such a gracious God. You're so gracious that you let us take our doubts to you. That you let us say, God, I have some conditions. God, I, I know what you said, but I'm having a real hard time believing it right now. God, this situation I'm in right now is making it real hard to confess that you are good. Lord, I pray for each person that had their hand raised, that you would meet them right now in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. That you would minister to them, that you would reassure them that you love them, of how much you appreciate that they're bringing it to you instead of stuffing it down. And Lord, we ask that you would remove all doubt, that you would remove all doubt, that you would give fresh revelation. We ask for spiritual eyes to be opened, that God, they will begin to see what's happening spiritually, that they will begin to see what you're doing for them, even though it looks like everything's against them right now, that they can see what you're doing for them, that you would encourage them.
that you would lift the weight of depression. Some, there's someone who's, who's feeling depression. God, that you would lift the weight of depression and anxiety. We speak to depression and anxiety and say, go. We join together as a church family and we stand on the word of God that says when we agree in prayer that you'll do it. We know we're praying your perfect will when we're praying for your people to be healed, healthy, and whole. God, we pray for healing of, the, of grief, for healing in bodies where there's sickness that's been lingering. God, we pray for your healing. And God, most of all, we just pray for your revelation that you would show who you really are, that there would be no question that you are good and that you are for them. You are not against us. You are for us. So even if the circumstance doesn't change right away, God, we ask that you would give spiritual sight. We want to see what you see, God. Let's pray just for your presence for our sisters and brothers who raise their hands. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for your presence in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We invite you to continue to stay in the place of prayer. You can come up and have people pray for you. 